Hey there, if you would like ad-free and early versions of these episodes, as well as bonus episodes, movie club episodes, and lots more, head on over to patreon.com slash Craig and Friends. I was going to put a, a, do like a actual like backdrop, but I totally just realized I'd forgotten to do it. No, it's okay, actually. I think it's great because uh, it gives everyone like sort of a look in at our places. You know what I mean? And I you was actually do not want to see any other view than this right here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's fun it's about... hiding uh, bags of drag. <laughs> <laughs> I just recently did like a full apartment clean because uh, during this time, it's very easy to let things get out of control. But actually, this over here is what led me to do the whole thing. I've turned the dining area into a full green screen studio. And I'm going to be doing some live streams and stuff. And I was considering about doing green screen for this because on the previous one that we did which jake was also at for nine to five karen from finance had an amazing still of the ladies from nine to five there and it was great <laughs> but i was like i don't know i you know when you don't want to try something new in combination with doing a bunch of other stuff it's so true. yeah also it's fun because we get to see the library uh that james has yeah. and jason is also a bit of a bookworm, and yeah. it's nice to see now i get a sense of the new library that you were telling me about Oh, yeah, that's just one fraction of it. They're both actually virtual backgrounds. They're just they're fake libraries. They're fake <laughs> yes, libraries. They're we don't, we want we want the audience to think that these two have been getting into the books lately. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, We're trying uh, to repair their image. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you all so much for joining for uh, Movie Club for Labyrinth. Yeah. Yay. Woo. 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 Ah. And dance, that was a magic dance, magic <laughs> dance, magic. Woo. Let's start with that. What's what's your favorite song? And actually, well, we'll we'll get to this in a second. Everyone has a fascinating story about the movie, uh possibly none more so than James's because this recent era is the first time he ever saw the film. You know, I'll tell you something. I don't know what I was doing in 1980, whenever this movie came out. <laughs> I have no memory of the 80s. I, I don't think I was going to a lot of movie theaters at the time. So, <laughs> And everybody has always said this is something that I need to watch. And I watched it, and I am just going to be the Goblin King about this one because yeah. I don't get it. I don't understand it. And we're going to have to talk about that in a little bit because That's I, great. Am, I, I don't think I'm a fan. I don't understand. It, it should check off every box <laughs> of movies that I like. But for some reason, I can't connect to this. So we'll have to talk about that in a little bit. Sure. Actually, you know, uh, well, first off, let's before we get into that, and I'm actually quite happy that we have a point counterpoint situation going on <laughs> because there's a very uh, easy tendency for a with a film like this just to be like, wasn't that scene great? Oh, I love that movie. So uh, we're not going to have that, which is nice. And we're going to have to sort of defend some points that maybe will turn will turn out to be uh, indefensible. What was your favorite song from the movie? If you like the music from it. See, this is another assumption. We're going to have to talk a little bit about the David Bowie thing because I, 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 I am a huge David Bowie fan, but at this period of David Bowie, I, I did not like him. So for a lot of the music here, I couldn't get in. I mean, like the, the Dance Magic Dance is all fun to look at right now. It's all good, but I want to hear everyone else's opinions first before I start oh. being the spoiler. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. What, what, you know what we'll do? Uh, we'll go, we'll go uh, Crystal, James, Jason and then me in terms of the favorite song because I think we need or actually you know Crystal Crystal Jason uh, Chris pardon me for pardon me audience for confusing you I mean uh, Crystal Jake James then me I think that's a nice balance so Crystal what's your favorite song I feel like everyone always says magic dance but I feel like that's the straight person answer uh, <laughs> yeah half of me loves it yeah <laughs> 
it's definitely within you. That's like that's what Bowie I've heard. Oh, sorry, you're talking about mm. the song. <laughs> it's Bowie, like full camp, <laughs> yeah. like, really leaning in. It's re- it's so dramatic. It's so extra. Um, the lyrics are gorgeous. That dun 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 at the beginning, like. I'm just, it's just magic for me, that song. Yeah. It, it, it's throwing the baby around. I love that. I love when he's just tossing the baby <laughs> around. <laughs> the whole visual of that, all that with all the goblins and everything, it is fun, yes. Yeah. Now, so are you typically a Muppets fan? Do you like other Muppets stuff, James? Oh, yes. No, I do. I'm a huge Muppet fan. I love I love the Muppets. I, I you know, I going all the way back to, you know, I started Sesame Street in 1970. So, I mean, I was, I, I'm a huge Muppet fan and I love, uh, I, I love Dark Crystal, yeah. everything like that. But I, I feel like I'm hogging this. I want to hear Jake. I no, no, no. Uh, listen, I, look, I'm directing it towards you. I mean, we're all fascinated, right? <laughs> Isn't everyone fascinated by this? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So, but we'll continue on the uh, favorite song part. And I have to comment on Within You because uh, I just rewatched it again. For Actually, the first time I watched the full film all the way through because I've pulled a lot of footage from it for Videodrome and, of course, the, the Bowie party. Of course, uh, Christmas Day, the online live stream version of the Videodrome discotheque, David Bowie party, which uh, Jason's been a part of before. Pardon me, Jake. Sorry, audience. I keep confusing you. I go you. by both. I go by you both. No, I know. <laughs> I know. Which we'll is sometimes. Always be Jason to me now, forever on. So, yeah, uh, that's coming up. And so I hadn't actually sat and watched the movie in a while. And this past weekend, I started the movie club live watch thing. So every Saturday, the Craig and Friends uh, Patreon hot dog club. We're watching a movie together, especially, I mean, at least until the COVID era ends, and then maybe the schedule might change a little bit. If anyone here would like to join at any time, it's 2 p.m. Hollywood time every Saturday. The next movie is The Apple. But to watch Labyrinth with a bunch of people, and I hadn't really done one of those uh, sit around and watch a movie together online things, I think. I'd been to a bunch of drag shows. Of course, Crystal's fabulous uh, Mariah and Friends uh, live shows. And uh, But watching the movie together, I teared up at the end. I got all the feels and all the stuff, and it was after a particularly shitty day, or two days. You know, we have these sweet weeks of days lately that are just like oops nope i woke up and it's still garbage (laughs) fuck (laughs) but uh in terms of favorite songs and you said within you watching it again i was really really struck by it because it is so goth it's so extra and it's all the bowie stuff and of course it's perfect that in the movie that's the scene that's maybe the most technically mind scrambling where he's popping up from below and and even watching the documentary you're kind of like i I still don't, I can't figure out how he did that. I mean, you kind of can, but you still kind of can't, especially the part where he disappears through her. Because, you know, because in the chilly down scene, you're like, I can see the blue screen stuff going on, but it's okay because I love this. But uh, in terms of favorite songs, Jason, what's your go-to? I think as the world falls down, probably. And it always changes, you know, it it always, I, I, I love Underground. Um, I love all these songs very, very much. Chilly down is, is, is amazing, but uh, maybe it's just my more sort of romantic, sensitive self right now is sort of like, <laughs> you know, like, yes. the but I just think it's an incredibly romantic song and you get Bowie's, uh, just like, it's really just some of the best crooning, you know, from yeah. him ever. I think it's just such a pretty song. And I, I would like to just say real quick before, you know, about the music is yeah. that, you know, if you've got this on vinyl or if you've got this on CD or listening to this on iTunes or Spotify, um, it's not that they, they re-recorded all these songs for the soundtrack. 
I was going to ask you about that because, of course, the last time I listened to it was this past weekend when I watched the movie, and you'd mentioned that many times when we talked about Chili Down. Mm-hmm. Chili Down is much better in the movie. Um, a lot of there's, there's different like synths used in a couple of the songs, and for the mm-hmm. most part, it sounds pretty, pretty, pretty good. But uh, I do think the actual audio from the movie is is the better recording of these songs. Yeah, it'd be uh, interesting. I wonder if we could pluck... And that's a shame about Magic Dance because it's actually just in fragments. You think the whole thing is performed. But uh, discovering this while trying to edit a full video of the song, you're like, they don't play the whole song. And the song also goes on for another four minutes or something like that on the the soundtrack. You're like, oh, it's still going. On Spotify, if you want to check out remixes, there are so many remixes of the singles because this was the peak of the remix time. Of course, James, you're very familiar with uh, hearing all the times of different versions that we'd be playing at the clubs. But there'd be like there's like dub versions of Underground and all of the songs. Inst- the Carl Cox within you remix. Yeah, I know that would be amazing. Actually, <laughs> that'd be kind of fun. The Labyrinth remix project. I would love to hear that. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, and so for my favorite song, and I do love as the world falls down. I do love all the songs. I would say equally, but Magic Dance. There's something really special about it. Also, because playing that at Videodrome, it's always fun because you can see people sort of go into the childhood happiness thing about it which is really special and then i like to give them a one-two punch with dancing in the street with people people don't like to like that song but they love it what do you think about that james okay well i i do want to say that it during you know i came to bowie sort of a little bit late i started i i i um got scary monsters uh super freaks when i was when it first came out i was in like ninth grade i think and that yeah. was my first entry into david bowie and all those videos um you know the fashion and things like that sure and yeah. to me david bowie was it was warhol it was john waters it was david bowie it was grace jones those were my gods when i yeah. was a teenager and then he did dancing in the street and he started and then he started doing those damn pepsi commercials <laughs> and he was wearing that oh those ugly parachute pants and if he was i know i get that he was doing another persona he was doing his rock god persona but it felt like he was selling out at the time and i was furious with him because he wasn't the person that i wanted him to be from the ziggy stardust aladdin saying all of the, he it, i i didn't i didn't I, I couldn't get this persona from him and so when he started doing that and also you got to remember that it, this is the 1980s and he's wearing that Tina Turner wig which nobody in the 80s thought that was cool and for him <laughs> to be wearing this just this this thing that was like from a dime store that it, <laughs> even at, at the time we all thought what the fuck is Bowie doing it just it didn't it, we, I remember I wasn't the only person who thought that he was being a sellout at this time. And that's one of the reasons I think I didn't see the movie because sure. I just I couldn't connect to this persona. Now, what did you think about the sort of the in-between era with the Let's Dance era? Because for a lot of folks who do have the hard drop off in the 80s with Bowie and particularly the album Tonight, which I happen to love. There's a couple dodgy tracks on it, but there's a lot of good ones. But uh, Let's Dance was kind of the uh, still safe period for a lot of people. I, I was there, a China girl, all of that. But I was beginning to feel like this is, I, I'm not here for the 80s stuff. I, sure. I really, I, 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 I was still there because I was only like 16 or something at the time. And yeah. it still felt cool. And the dancing and the, the you know, the Tony yeah. Basil choreography. Sure. All of that. Yeah. But um, I, I, I'd be interested to see what you guys think of him during this period. 
Yeah, no, this is a fascinating group of people for that because I have I have some inside knowledge on people's preferences with Bowie. So let's go with Jake because your first favorite album, right, of Bowie's was Let's Dance. Yeah, I just I discovered him. This movie came out when I was like six, I think, six or seven. I was a massive Henson fan. Like I loved Henson, Dark Crystal, scared the bejesus out of me. I loved the kind of grotesquerie of Henson's creations. I was really into monsters. So like Labyrinth was just really exciting uh, for me, you know, when it came out. And I didn't know who Bowie was. So I saw Labyrinth and I loved all this music. And I remember asking my sisters, like, who is this guy? And they told me he was a big rock star. His name is David Bowie. And I was just super into it. So we, uh, my mom took me to a Sam Goody and I got um, Let's Dance. And that was my first Bowie record. That was my first sort of in with Bowie. And, you know, it's such a pop record. Like the first half of it is, is, is just these great pop songs. It's my favorite album of all time. Like I love yeah, the pop yeah. songs. And then I love the side B to it is, is just dark and weird and scary. And I followed those up immediately uh, with Lodger and Scary Monsters. Um, I got them both on cassette. And I was, I was about seven, oh, eight, and just like they blew my mind. So those three records are like really like the core of my yeah. favorite Bowie, even though, I mean, it's, it's my, my love is, is very expansive from there. But to me, those, those, those three albums, I, I, I listen to them all the time. I still listen to scary monsters and Lodger <laughs> all, all the time, but let's dance just was my first. That was just sure. my first intro to it. So it'll kind of always be my favorite. And, and also because it's just got eight songs on it. I just think like to make an eight song record is so cunty. And one of them, one of them's a remake too. Yeah. One of them's a cover. And oh, a remake also of well, actually, you're right. There's a remake and a cover. That's right because yeah. uh, a Criminal World was written by Duncan something. That's exactly. not his full name, folks. Exactly. But yeah, um, Duncan something. Duncan something. You know the um, fabulous Duncan something. I, but I, I, I love that record because of that. I love the brevity and and sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh no, we're a bunch of chatty Cathys. I think that might happen a couple times. No, uh, but I, I do think that who whatever album is the is the Bowie album that you go that you discover him that remains your favorite Bowie period. I have people who are you know like Thin White Duke and um, Fenton Bailey who who I work with Ziggy Stardust. It doesn't ever get any better than that, and that's the only era that he you know it with Bowie. It's very specific to when you find him that that that's what clicks with you. Now, Crystal, we talked before on our uh, previous episodes about Bowie because it's uh, it's I'm often want to do that anyway. But <laughs> <laughs> you have a particular fondness for Lodger as well, right? Or the Berlin, Berlin yeah, trilogy? The whole Berlin trilogy. I think probably um, Low is the one of those for me. But all three of them. But I found, I don't really know how I found Bowie because, like, I, I was a little bit too young probably for Labyrinth when it came out. So it was just kind of like Bowie was always in the air in yeah. my house. Yeah. My sister was a fan. I think my dad was like a grudging fan. He was kind of like, he thought he was a little bit too cool for Bowie, but like he did actually like him. What did your dad like to listen to if if, if Bowie was a little bit like? Uh, well, my dad thinks of himself as like a proper like uh, rock and roll, like really like proper rock okay. i guess and he always thought no Bowie fucking no of, fucking about with silly makeup and nonsense costumes not even, it's not even the makeup so much i think he just always thought that bowie was courting fame a bit too much and it wasn't it wasn't cool to want to be famous gotcha um but 
uh, I think I probably found Bowie probably through like greatest hits to start, like sure one of the greatest hits albums, and then probably the first album that came out when I was like old enough to be a fan was probably like Hours or Heathen, and I I still love those albums a lot. I love those um, as well. Yeah. Back, and then I went back, and and then it was kind of like the Berlin trilogy that spoke to me the most. But um, they're all good. They're just they're just like they. You've got a Bowie album for any mood that you're in. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. Although, I, the, oh, go ahead, James. I, I do remember when I was young, and I did that. Who is Bowie to my mother? And she was like, "Oh, he's just very weird. No, oh no, 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 did <laughs> not like him at all." And that was sort of part of the mystique that made me want to discover him because sure. it, it was, he was a bit forbidden in our house because he wore dresses and he just was. He she just thought he was very strange. Yeah, and he did a lot of uh, obviously groundbreaking stuff with with uh, queer representation too. Even the, the boys keep swinging video, which I believe aired on SNL. You know, with he's Joey making Arias, look- yes, yeah, exactly. That's right. Yeah, and then uh, and that and uh, all the drag and all that ma- fabulous stuff and that live performance. That, that was my first introduction to Klaus Nomi as well. That was oh that- really? Wow, yeah. yeah. And that's another aspect of Bowie's whole career is that like he would make you aware of other people. Like I'm sure there was people who you know discovered Lou Reed and Iggy Pop because of Bowie, uh, and then they were kind of down on their luck when he plucked them up and uh, brushed them off and made a good record with them. People like to ask what their or pose the question: What's the worst Bowie album? Now I have trouble with that. I think I'll have to go with Never Let Me Down just because it's never going to get put on. That's the one I'm never going to put on. Also, there's a track on there that Jason and I got to enjoy a f- complete f- clearing of the floor when we went to this Bowie party a few a week or so after Bowie died. Uh, you know, the, so the sentiment was there: anything Bowie, you're going to be into. And then we're just rocking out after the downstairs DJ, one of the the guy from the Smiths, who's a DJ now. He's terrible because he was playing like Elastica, and we were like booing and everything. We went upstairs, and we were like, "Great, now it's just all Bowie, the way it should be at a Bowie party." And everyone's going nuts for everything. Even the most like difficult to dance to track, everyone's grooving around. Suddenly, everyone starts departing, and we're like, "Is this? This has never let me down, isn't it?" So that's like the sign that that it's. <laughs> it really did. It 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 really did kind of clear the floor. Yeah, it iced the place down, and there's no. I try every once in a while to go back. There's about three or four songs I like on it, like "Time Will Crawl," etc. But with that, I can tie that in with the Labyrinth Era, or I can see how James would as well, because the mid to late '80s. Bowie did not seem cool to a lot of people, especially the coolest people around, the club kids. <laughs> wow, <Yeah>. all that. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I mean, in terms of taste making and uh, all of that, you all were doing quite a bit uh, for that. You know, once his hair went popcorn yellow, I could see how maybe you went. Mm, he was getting a lot of shit for, um, you know, for the Glass Spider tour was getting just like terrible reviews when it came out. Like yeah. it was. You know, they they he had like a NBC like Friday night special concert movie of it. You know, and people hated the album. Uh, you know, the concert was getting kind of you know sort of it was yeah, just like yeah. a general. He was kind of getting raked over the coals at the time. It's fascinating that you know the Black Star Band, and I've got it because it came in the last. It came in the Loving the Alien box set. Um, the Black Star Band went back and got the masters for Never Let Me Down. And basically redid the record in a way. They right. sort of like pulled it out of sort of the muck that the original album's in and made a new version of it. Um, How do you like it, by the way? Because I, I awesome. keep meaning to listen to it. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. It's so even, even his quote unquote worst album, there's 
it's like we talk about a lot we've joked uh, jason and i about how like look even if it's a shitty elton john record or shitty R- rolling stones album those are better than a lot of other albums yeah they're rolling stones records <laughs> it's an elton john record it's like even like the worst of sort of masters of their craft uh yeah just them it's like if you're a fan you're still gonna find great stuff in there yeah well, it's always i also wonder a little bit if um the glass spider tour in doing all of that was able to catapult him into an area where he suddenly had the fame and the money that now he could start going back and doing the things that he wanted he didn't have to struggle the way he probably was struggling for in other eras this probably set him up for life and that yeah. that's why he was able to go back and you know near the end start doing you know what is the black star or what it was the last thing you know i mean like so some of the more experimental stuff that he went back to start doing and i i so i i don't fault anybody for selling out i don't fault anybody for doing the giant tour like that if it managed to put him into a place where he could then you know go back and be the bowie we all wanted him to be and I think, yeah, the, that whole era never let me down in the Glass Spider Tour was pivotal in that Let's Dance was such a sort of surprise success. He wanted to make like a, a pop record. You know, that's why he hired Nile Rodgers, who actually wanted to make an experimental record. He was kind of disappointed. He thought they were going to make something <laughs> weird like Scary Monsters, and he was kind of bummed. He's like, but I make hits all the time. So anyway, that did so well <laughs> that he felt kind of trapped uh, in, in the success. So that's why Tonight is kind of like a... a directionless record but then some sources also say that he was too cheap to hire Nile Rodgers again for tonight so who knows but uh then when he gets to never let me down he's getting into a whole mode of uh, operation where he's over preparing stuff where usually he like would go in and half make it up on the spot and then he said that the sort of bloatedness of that era is what led him to can it all and form tin machine right right yeah Crystal, do you have any uh, era of Bowie? And we'll talk about the movie in a minute. But uh, <laughs> do you have any, uh, do you have any um, least favorite uh, Bowie? And we know what James's is. Oh, I think it's like Jake said, there's there's something good on all of it. So yeah. there isn't really like an album that I dislike. I think I, would, I just had a quick look through his discography and like trying to think of one that I'm not into. And to, I haven't listened to Pin Up. Oh, you like it? <laughs> maybe, maybe pinups my least favorite. I don't think I've ever listened to it. Just go on record with that. Take it. It's a hot take, and people like hot takes these days. Yeah. <laughs> no, you like it. It's so good. It's like it's really kind of druggy. Surprisingly, covers of a yeah. lot of classic songs, and the, what like a really great version of the Who's Can't Explain. That was kind of the end of the Ziggy thing because it then it morphed into Diamond Dogs. Oh yeah, he did a great move when he when he got rid of the spiders from Mars. He none of them knew. <laughs> He, he he let them know on stage when he announced that it was their final concert. So that's a fun little move. Uh, a couple pe- I, I've heard of a, I, I, I've heard of a couple people repeating that. I can't remember who it is though right now. But uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so what about the first time all of us saw the movie? Now we know when James did, which was recently, because I saw that you tweeted about it, and um, I'm fascinated with it not clicking uh, with you. So let's. Uh, Let's get into that first, then we'll go into everyone else's first time with the movie. My first impression of it when you watch it is I, I thought it's a straight up Wizard of Oz, you know, knockoff. That that's exactly what we were doing. And even in the beginning, you see the books that she's reading and you see that she has that that where the wild things are and Wizard of Oz. And you, you get the feeling that that's put there purposely because we are doing a riff on some of these classic children's stories. You also see a little bit of... Um, you know, Alice in Wonderland and Time Bandits. I see a lot of Time Bandits oh, yes. in it as well. 
And so I, I, I get all of that and I saw all of that. And Jennifer Connelly, like right off the bat, she is a perfect, she is the perfect star for this. I was reading that they were looking for every actress in Hollywood, every young actress in Hollywood wanted to play the role. I saw Jane Krakowski was one of the wow. people who auditioned. Helena wow. Bonham Carter was a big contender. Yeah. Um, uh, Yasmin Blee. Oh, wow. Uh, all written down right here. Marissa Tomei, Sarah Jessica Parker, Laura Dern, and Ali Sheedy were all <laughs> in the running. And it wasn't Whoa. until I think George Lucas made the choice with uh, to go with Jennifer Connelly. And it was her first big role. But, God, she really is a young Jennifer Connelly. She's so, you can't take her your eyes off her the entire yeah. film. Yeah, it's fantastic. But like I said, it did seem like a straight off Wizard of Oz. You have a young girl being plopped into a strange land. She's got a, a, a mission to go on. And along the way, she you know picks up all these friends who help her learn lessons about her life as she's doing it. And so it it felt a little pat to me when I was watching it. Um, just because I felt like I've, I've been there, done that with so many other movies. So, sure. So, uh, Crystal and, and Jason, let's let's hear you guys because yeah. Well, first though, I just want to mention uh, that Jennifer Connelly had an incredible run very early on, right? I mean, she continued to have an incredible string of films. She followed this with Dario Argento's Phenomena, which uh, is like one of the it's one of the most disgusting horror movies I've ever seen, and but it's one of the best as well. But when I recommend it to people, I go just be careful because it's disgusting. I did cover my eyes a couple times because Argento stuff is gross anyway, but this has a lot of bugs in it, but it's also got Donald Pleasance. So yeah, she was like in nothing but the coolest movies. And well, to some people uh, in her early career, she's also in a piece of garbage called Seven Minutes in Heaven. If you ever happen to find it on VHS, pick it up. Yeah, I know. Very. (laughs) There's an interview. Actually, I'll, I'll drop the clip in later, but there's this woman in Texas named Bobby Wygant who does like these horrible interviews. I played some uh, on the nine to five uh, movie club. She um, is asking a, about other projects and Jennifer like kind of doesn't want it. She's like, well, yeah, there's this other movie, Seven Minutes in Heaven. And you can tell even at 15, she knew it was a piece of shit. And I, you could, I always appreciate that because usually kid stars are like, yeah, I got the greatest new movie coming out. And what you said about Maurice Sendak is interesting because he was a little uh, pissed off when the film came out. Or I think when, I've read about this. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a special thanks to credit in there to him because the, not where the wild things are, but there's another story of his that. I guess has some resemblances uh, to this. So yeah, let's get to everyone else. Now, uh, Jake, you had mentioned that you were six when it came out. I remember you telling me that you really wanted to see in the theater, but weren't able to. Yeah, no, it was, I, we were just moving to uh, a a pretty remote Island um, in the Northwest. And we did have a one screen movie theater in town, but when it was released, it didn't come through town. Oh, So I had to wait for the, uh, you know, for the VHS. Um, but I had my Muppet magazine of the season, you know, uh-huh. with, with stills and with, you know, Jennifer on the front of it. And uh, yeah. I was just super, super, super excited. Now, didn't you actually have to wait for the Betamax? Uh, we did have a Betamax player. I think we duped it. What we do is we would, once we got a VCR, we were dubbing the movies off onto Betamax. So I had it eventually on Betamax, but it was a pirated version. That's what good year, What years are this? I, I'm, I'm trying I'm, to I was like seven or wait, what, what year is this movie? Is it 80? 86, 87, right? So I would have been like, I would have been like eight. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 I would have been eight. Childhood piracy. Yeah. I'm glad that, you know, that's a good thing. <laughs> I want to represent that and I want to give props. Uh, um, so, but I did have it on Betamax and I, you know, it is an episodic movie. 
like the story is not necessarily fantastic. And it's like, it's very, you know, you go into one sound stage and you meet this character, you go to the next sound stage, you meet, you know, this other scene and maybe a song, you go to the next sound stage, you know, but I am a fan of, I've always been like a massive Disneyland fan. I love rides. I love detail work. I'm the least crafty person on the planet. I mean, I can't even glue like two pieces of like construction paper together. So I love like, you know, people that can make like extremely detailed worlds with their hands to me is like so exciting. Sure. So I love, I love sound stages. I love, uh, you know, practical effects and stuff. Yeah. And just like, you know, seeing these things that like weren't, you know, computers weren't used, you know, there's animatronic faces on a lot of these creatures and, um, just all the handiwork. So to me, that's like, as well as the music and, you know, and I do love the characters. I think the characters are really funny. The little worm and <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> you know they really. There's so many like moments that kind of pull on your heartstrings, and um, so yeah. So I I would agree that I don't think this I don't think the story is 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 great. And I mean, it's it's sad to me. You know, I've read lots of Henson bios and stuff and, you know, about the making of this and a lot of the other movies. And like, you know, he was devastated after Dark Crystal. Like Dark Crystal was, you know, he thought it was a failure. And when this movie bombed in the box office, I mean, he never came back from it. Yeah, that's right. He never, he was devastated and thought he was a failure. It haunted him for the rest of his life. Which is so sad. Oh, so go ahead. Which is so sad because we're sitting here to like to this day. It's actually a classic. And we're sitting here 30 something years later still talking about it. So there is there's so many of movies over the, you know, over the course of Hollywood's history, which, you you know, they talk about how Wizard of Oz wasn't a big fan, you know, wasn't a big classic until it started getting play on when the TV came around in the late 50s and 60s. And you would get so I mean, there are movies that were big bombs that find its audience later on. And Mm -hmm. I wish that he would it would have been around to see how much how beloved it has become over the years. Even I think A Christmas Story which, you know, you could do a whole podcast on. I don't think that yeah. did very well when it came out. And yet mm-hmm. now it's inescapable, you know? Right. Yeah. Everyone, everyone knows it and everyone's seen it. Yeah. And when I, I did, I also do want to say one thing that yeah. um, Hoggle, the character of Hoggle, that everyone keeps calling him Hogwart the entire time. That is to me that every time someone says Hogwart, I just, it, it is, do you think that JK Rowling knew about this or do, do you think there's any connection I was wondering about that too because I was doing a brush up of some of the trivia and they talk about that very thing and I thought she must have yanked that. Must have. There must have, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because where else would you find that word? That's not like a naturally occurring word. (laughs) You know. (laughs) Oh, and uh, you mentioned Time Bandits and uh, that is so apt because Terry Jones from Monty Python was the main script writer for this. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Wait, Terry Jones wrote the script for this? Yes, yeah. I had no idea. I never knew that. If you want, I'll send you the Inside the Labyrinth uh, documentary. It's really you know, it's good. It's funny because I also see a little bit of Legend, which I was a movie that I loved so much in the, yeah. in the 80s. And so uh, to see that Mia yeah. Sarah, I think, was one of the actresses who tried out for it. Was Mia Sarah in Legend? Was that her? Yeah, Mia, yeah that's right. And I think yeah, that was okay. her first film. Yeah. Right, because I do, I see a lot of, uh, and I love the fact that it's so low tech that there isn't, you know, any CGI. It didn't exist at the time. But 
I love all the the actual you know Muppets and the animals and the the, the sets that aren't you know really that much blue screen as you as you pointed out. Yeah, there's only one scene, and it's not even the effect that's happening. It's that they had to because the chili down. Uh, monsters or whatever you want to call them the fire gang the fire gang has to have their heads pulled off and all that stuff so they're dressed in black against a black background and they had to use black velvet there's a funny moment in the documentary where they show the people constantly vacuuming the black velvet because there couldn't be anything and it's just kind there's a guy with a duster and he's just kind of like weary you know and you know that it went on all day When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jake had an experience with the Muppet uh, family, right? Because you did a couple performances, one at the Brits, I believe, with the Muppet gang. Yeah, all the all the people that worked on on this and Dark Crystal uh, were part of the Henson Creature Shop UK, which I got to do over the years, two separate big live numbers with them. And, you know, the head uh Actually, he was he wasn't wasn't the head, but Brian Froud's son, who plays Toby uh, in this movie, was one of the puppeteers on. Oh, cool! You know this, yeah. uh, and yeah. it, it it was so cool to work with all these people because it's it's just you know runs the gamut of ages, but there was definitely this whole, you know, there were all these like. 50 something 60 something people they're just these hip, awesome hippies um and you know it, that was the last we did um take your mama with them at the brits and that was the last iteration officially of the uk henson creature shop oh wow that's and right they shut the doors of that and then wow. for the next number i basically rounded that entire team back up again so got them all back together for this and it wasn't officially uh, under the Henson name, but it was yeah. all those. It was all the people. That's so um, cool, and all the effects. And what was the video? Was it kiss? No, it wasn't kiss you off. You you have a video where you're basically doing the the fire gang. Yes, yeah, so that was the. That's all the Kuroko. That's all the Japanese Kuroko puppeteers in. Uh, oh, Tokyo. okay. Okay, I wasn't sure because which is on the black, you know, kind of on what we were just talking about with Fire yeah, Gang. Yeah. Uh, we made a whole one take video with you know these incredible, you know. Kuroko puppeteers that um that's what that's what they do and it's a trip to watch it's really cool because Wait, it's, it's, I need to look I need to look this up where where where, am I, where can I find it on YouTube what am I looking up it's yeah, a wait. video called She's My Man is the that's name right. of the song and it's just scissors okay. it's a scissors yeah, yeah we shot that in Tokyo directed by amazing thing it's but so I, I cool love puppets. I love puppets and I feel like uh puppeteering was kind of a lost uh like maybe a road I could have gone down and <laughs> sometimes I'll find something and turn it into a puppet and talk to it if I'm like by myself. <laughs> like, you definitely know. have a range of puppet voices that we've heard sometimes late at night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I yes. wonder, you know, did you ever get a chance to see um, Joey Arias' show with Basil Twist? Did you? Did I see that show? <laughs> I saw that show at least five times. And, you know, it was Joey Arias did this tiny little show. I mean, there was only about 
40 seats in the room. It was like in this little box and he, and he did it with Basil Twist. And what was the name of the show? I can't remember the title of it, yeah. but it we'll was have a Google um, while you reminisce. It was, you know, basically a, a whole, it was, you know, Joey with all with like puppets and this very elaborate show on this tiny stage. And it was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen. And I kept going back and I would take people and take copious amounts of drugs, and, <laughs> you know, just take LSD or it's like some mushrooms and like sit in there. And it was such a trip. And yeah, it's one of my favorite shows. One of my favorite kind of theatrical experiences um, of all time. Arius with a twist. Arius with a twist. Arius with a twist. I I had seen it at the Red Door, I think, here in Los Angeles. I didn't get a chance to see it in New York. But I have a feeling that that Basil and Joey were probably on copious amounts of LSD. They were doing it and conceiving it as well. And every night. (laughs) That reminds me of uh, the plan that Jake and I have to, when the world is spinning on axis again, to go see Pia Zadora twice. I've already seen her twice in Vegas. But to go, and and James, you have to come this time because we went. I am. The biggest. We've talked about this. Pia Zadora. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, a little piece of me. What? A little. The, the, yeah. You used to think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite songs of all time. And we've talked about how my just my love of Pia Zadora, starting with Butterfly. I remember I I st- stood in line for six hours <laughs> to get an autograph at Peaches Records in Fort Lauderdale when I was growing up. And it, to me, it just, it she changed my life. We, we could, I could do a whole podcast about Pia. We, we've talked about that before. I and by the way, I sent you our segment when we talked about Pia from yes. our episode to Pia, and she was uh, thrilled about it. Coming out soon from the uh, the archive of shows. I have this vault of stuff that I taped that I didn't get to last year. I did a full show with her in, in Vegas at her home, and we ended up, we actually were wearing matching shirts, completely unplanned. So I'm looking forward to posting that, and plus tons of video from Pia's place. And so our plan is to go and uh, go to at least two shows, and the second one, be on copious amounts of drugs, because I think that was the only minute, the right thing you know, to do. Um, talk, when you talk about the 80s and, and Pia and everything, when the rain begins to fall with Jermaine Jackson, that video is probably the uber video of the 1980s yes. is one of the best hands down batshit out of control videos you will ever watch where it's sort of like mad max meets uh <laughs> Rebe centipede you know yes <laughs> it really is it really is and that was directed by bob giraldi uh he, he directed yes. that one chunk of the of the movie and bob giraldi for those who are not familiar he directed uh the beat it and um not billy jean but he did beat it and a lot of other classic 80s Wait, did videos he do, was he responsible for the pat benatar um he, yes that's right yes. yep okay. absolutely for uh uh, love is a battlefield yes with, with the Catherine Hamnett dress with all the with, yeah. oh my god which I wanted so bad <laughs> <laughs> oh this is fun and, and you know a lot of these videos for those listening I'm going to be doing uh, some more live streams on YouTube and Twitch and some of them are just going to be like yak and and then I'm going to play videos for you know so stuff like that so James I'll let you know when I'm doing that because maybe we'll talk a little bit more about the uh, magic of the Pia video and anyone here that's participating right now you're more than welcome to be a part of that but uh but crystal i'm sorry i i uh, we got carried away with piazadora and copious amounts of drugs I, I mean I've, I've just been taking some notes and like <laughs> watching for later perfect um i've been, I've been a little bit lost it's been great well, listen, <laughs> if you need any holes filled pardon me with uh, the piazadora oh, stuff woo! uh just let me <laughs> you are the right group for that baby <laughs> <laughs> yeah so any Piazzadora uh, material you want, you just let us know. But 
All oh, right, I thought you were about to ask me about Piazador. I'm like, I'm sorry, I have nothing. I have nothing to add. No, that's okay. Uh, You're gonna begin with Santa Claus versus the Martians. That's your entry into okay, Piazadora, and then you go from there. Well, it's perfect. It's David Bowie December, and we're also celebrating Christmas with a little bit of Piazador. I got to see that at the, on a big screen at the New Beverly. So, anyone playing the drinking game right now, the Wimsley, not the Craig and Friends, pardon me, uh, uh, drinking game. We already said Jake Shears a number of times. Now he said New Beverly. So you're in a nice, nice Christmas buzz, hopefully with some eggnog. But Crystal, uh, when was the first time you saw this movie? Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. So it was already out when I was like of consciousness. So I think it's just one of those movies that's always been around. It's like yeah. something that's been in the ether my whole life. And I, I don't remember the first time seeing it, Like I, but it's one of my early memories is watching it with, and I, I'm I'm, I'm going to guess like my neighbor friends down the road, but it's just one of those, th- one of those movies that you just constantly, I saw constantly growing up and I don't even know if I liked it that much. It was just, it was just there. a movie I knew was important. Yeah. And that one that needed to be watched. Um, and then I, I probably didn't watch it for 15 years and I watched it again about a month ago on a bit of a come down and smoking DMT. <laughs> and it was a very different experience. <laughs> That's perfect. That sounds a lot better than a recipe than my uh, my LSD yeah. and Death Wish movies that I did a couple months ago. But yeah. <laughs> and I would just echo what has already been said that like in lots of ways it's not really that good, but in other ways it's like it's the best. Like the way that the puppets are, the way the sets, like it's beautiful. Jennifer Connelly is so watchable. David Bowie is so camp in it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But like this, the storyline, I'm like, what is this? Like, is it kind of a rape tale? Is it like, <laughs> like I didn't really, I, I, like the story didn't really connect. And like the part, the parts that I didn't like, I like, I still don't like. And, and I think that that bog of eternal shame was probably like, a bog, bog of eternal scent is probably like an early gay shame like trigger oh. for me oh wow interesting you know what i mean it's like just stinky stinky buttholes <laughs> <laughs> well, now, people we, all talk we, about we, bowie being that, a gay I awakening always think of um, uh, a princess bride i always th- there's a little bit of uh, going with that mm-hmm. but i never thought stinky butthole that you've given me a whole i have to go back and rewatch the whole thing again with yeah, the gay there- game aspects there's like there's like vibrating spitting buttholes in the yeah yeah that's right that's right yeah it's it's yeah it is I I I I can I I identify with that well one of the greatest things about doing the uh doing the live watch is the rotten rotten chat that we all had in the chat box and um so I I think when they get to when she's first in the labyrinth she's in the dark room like which way do I go what do I do here and then later you know the door guys are really. The early door guy is okay. He's but he's kind of he's kind of willy nilly. But then later it's kind of they're kind of like, what are you doing here? And it's like, well, you know, this is not the most friendly to ladies gay bar. That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> question though, about those guys, and I don't mean to I don't mean to sidetrack us, but just while we're that's on the them. whole show. I just wanted to let you know that. Yeah, door knockers though. Um, can, <laughs> is, I've always wondered if you follow the logic of that scene, if they're is that a logical i've never followed the logic of it but i feel like it's true wait say uh, spell it out just a little more so the 
so there's two door knockers and one of them they're 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 contradicting each other one right of them, one of us always tells the truth and the other one says one of us always lies and so they're they're bantering back and forth yeah and calling each other liars but i think there's a logic within that yes that, that one i try actually telling the truth I tried to do that on DMT and figure that out, and I tell you, it did not work. <laughs> <laughs> so that's not the right drug for that particular problem, but there is one out there, and we're going to find it. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure it's in my couch right here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you moved the safe to a more accessible area. That's good. <laughs> that is that, that isn't there like an eternal like a japanese riddle or something like that that, that one of us is always lying and the other is telling the truth that's been around for hundreds of years and you probably and, where that came from yeah yeah that riddle probably has some some it's like if you follow it i think it's real yeah yeah, that, yeah i i remember yeah in a philosophy class or something when mm. i was stoned out of my mind remembering that <laughs> See, there's a lot of revelations about uh, the the value of drugs that we're talking about here. But uh, also, there's a lot of great things to the like the merit and weight of scenes like that. In that they're not like a kids' movie throwaway garbage thing where it's like, well, she does this thing and this thing sort of blinks at her, and then like something waves, and then the farting. You know what I mean? There is the farting, which always makes me laugh. Particularly Ludo just going smell. <laughs> and the other stuff the other little like the all the gags in it are so amazing like you were talking about the attention to detail and i was watching uh the making of the section about the tunnel of hands and Mm. oh my god the amount of patience that not just the puppeteers but jim henson exhibits in the thing too because you don't see any he's just very calm he's like yeah gee well how come what what about if we did this this could be a good face so they sort of have the idea and then they show you that they're sitting there just like well put your hand like this and then they develop a thing where uh, each face is three hands which of course i would like to see a picture of behind the tunnel because Mm. when they do it just in a room it looks incredibly uncomfortable because there's three people standing in all kinds of weird positions and i mean you could probably find that on pornhub now but the uh the face takes three different hands and so in that tunnel they're all compressed granted they're not all faces that are operating they're just like you know many latex hands any favorite like moment of the movie, like in terms of the gags, in terms of the practical effects that stand out for everyone? Like, let's start with Crystal. Um, Besides I mean, the homophobic the, moments, which I know are always your favorite. I guess, like, the thing that sticks in you, in my mind the most is Bowie playing with the crystals. Yes. And I, and I watched, like, watching that again recently, I was like, it really looks like he's doing that. Um, and I presume he wasn't, but... Um, you are correct. No, you fact, any- wasn't there a there was a famous guy who was doing the hands? What was doing? What was his name? Michael Is Motion. It? Right. Okay. Michael Motion, and there's a great moment. I wish I had sent you all the documentary, but I didn't want to burden you. Like, hey, you're doing this thing here. Watch this too. But I'll send it to you if you'd like to see it. Uh, there's yeah, a great moment where this guy's, you know unbelievable he's a genius with it they show him rehearsing just laying down passing the ball from hand to hand over his face he's not worried about it at all and he's got three of them going at the same time so they would angle the shot so he was behind bowie and he's pressed up against him he can't see what's going on and he's using his right hand and there's a moment they show where he's like wait a minute sarah i've got a better idea you know and then he brings the ball out i don't know how many takes that took but they had a box 
about a, like three feet high, just full of crystal balls. And they, he was like, wait, Sarah, I've got a better idea. And then the ball would just roll down the arm and plop down over and over and over. And Bowie's laughing. But Michael Motion, you can see, is going nuts because, you know, it's like his gig. It's his thing. And he wants to make it perfect. Again, with the practical effects and the uh, care with the photography, you can't really tell. And you're not thinking about it when it's happening, unlike some, you know, like shoddier productions. I'm mm. um, I'm a little I'm forgetting a little bit with with the tunnel of hands. Is yeah. that sort of is that a repulsion thing that they're doing there with the hands coming out of the walls? Is that what that is? I I'm not a repulsion the like the the Polanski movie. Yeah, I'm not. Of the, oh, that's a great question. I have not seen that in a long time, so I don't. Oh wait, have I not? I've, you know what? I've not seen it. Another embarrassing. Okay, okay. I have not seen a title for Movie Club, so give and me a demerit, like everybody. They were referencing a Salvador Dali or, or Cocteau thing, where the, with the hands coming out. I, I, oh, I, I think bet. This, this is sort of a famous trope. I'm not. I will have to go back and and check it out. And that's another thing I love is that everything, like you mentioned, the uh, the door knockers, but everything has like a little thing. If you wanted to look at it a little bit more, you could delve into a whole other area of information and so all that's all the stuff is infused in henson stuff with other things which is nice mm. and talking about crystal ball let's talk to jake shears who has actually mastered the crystal ball ha- or let's say ball handling uh, uh, uh quite a bit <laughs> well, i'd always wanted to be able to do that so i finally ended up taking contact juggling lessons i can possibly do that move um can with- we watch we- i really the ball. I really want to see this. Exactly. Can we stop, can we stop and you go get some balls? Yeah. Oh my, you go- my, my ball is actually my other place here. Uh, I've oh. got a really, a really heavy one um, that's, that's pretty big. And uh, it's just so fun. I, I will pick it up and just go outside. You've got to make sure you've got, uh, you know, good shoes on because you can really break your toes with it. It's, 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 it's hefty. Um, yeah. So, but it's kind of just like a meditation. Like I'll go hang out with it and like, play with it and yeah i love it's something that i love to do and now i've done it for a while i did do it on tv once i did it on british television live on british television (laughs) and i got and i like it was one of those things where i'm like this could i could actually break a camera or somebody's face with it (laughs) did that thought pass through your mind right when you were on live tv yeah i was just like fuck and i I did it yeah i actually did it so um but but contact juggling is a lot of fun. It's uh, and it was always a dream of mine. And um, yeah, I love that. I love people who will just go out and learn a new skill at whatever age. I think that's absolutely fantastic. I I, I don't think I could ever pick up juggling. I, I it's just not something I, I that it would ever happen to me. I just don't think I could do it. It's well, like when I was meditative. You know, it's just like you just sort of zone out. It's kind of relaxing. It's you know, just doing something over and over and over again. But I I credit this movie for that. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Crystal. No, my my bad. Um, When when my dad was 14, he gave me a set of juggling balls and a check for $100. And he said, I'll sign the check when you can juggle the the three balls. (laughs) Better believe I could juggle three balls by the end of Christmas Day. (laughs) (laughs) And also, um, you're no stranger to uh, risky practical effects, let's say. Crystal. I thought you were going to say juggling balls. And well, you're <laughs> you can handle a lot at the same time. We'll say that. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Um, yeah, a fire sword, an angle grinder, a whip. So tell the gang about the angle grinder for those uh, for those who might not be familiar with exactly what that is and what you do with it. Oh, it's just a like a a metal 
cod piece that you jam an angle grinder against and it creates sparks. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it quite looks, a set piece. It looks really good, but it's really easy. I can do a lot of things that have like high visual payoff for our, for low commitment. <laughs> That's what it's all about. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> there is a really interesting thing right when he's trying to, his last gasp at trying to convince Sarah to just take the fantasy land. And another funny thing with the uh, the gang watching is they were like, fuck this. If this movie was me, if I was Sarah, rather, in the movie, this movie would be 15 minutes long. I'd be bombed out on those those peaches, and I'd be having a grand old time. With, I'd be balling with Bowie. That's what it, that's what they, they kept saying. <laughs> they were like, oh, the kid? Oof, who wants the kid? So I appreciated yeah. that uh, rotted perspective, uh, one that we can <laughs> all appreciate. But when Bowie is trying to, or rather Jareth, forgive me, is trying to convince Sarah to stay, uh, he says something really s and Just fear me, love me, do as I say, and I will be your slave. Well, I'd sort of like to bring in, we, we, you talk about the homophobic elements. I want to talk about the homoerotic elements where you have you have his bulge is a whole character in yes. the movie. It yes. is an entire subplot. Is It is, it is, a, 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 it is a, a, the... You cannot take your eyes off of it. Did he know what he was doing? So I found out uh, in an interview with the production designer that was all deliberate, which makes sense because there is one shot, I think in his discussion with Hoggle, where the angle is in the bottom of the frame. It's just his package. Yes. You know, there's no reason to have you have to actually. I mean, they know what they're doing. They're framing the shot. They're like, yeah, from that angle, so we can really see the profile of his piece. And uh, also, there's a lot of stuff with Hoggle talking basically face to crotch. Yes. And yes. there's a great there's a great moment when he goes, "What about those little your jewels, little man?" It's like, sir, what about your jewels? They're right there. Uh, that was all deliberate. Uh, the production designer, whose name I'm forgetting right now, because I want to be thorough on Movie Club, uh, he said that it was a deliberate uh, thing, a part of the package, if you will, to make him a rock star because his walking stick is kind of like a mic stand. The the jackets are very like rock star, and of course the wig and the makeup, and, and there's some like narcissistic rock star elements or like showbiz elements to Jareth himself. Like they don't laugh at his jokes, and he's like, okay, time to laugh. You know, we've all met people like that. You know, <laughs> fascinating character. I I feel like I don't really understand his motivations, but I like I love that. I love how cruel he is, but like desperate to be loved. But like the power he offers, I don't know. There's just like so much dark fantasy to it all that I think is responsible for like a lot of the the things I love now and the drag that I love because he's, he just is really camp and he's, it's really draggy. It's, and it's extremely draggy. Yeah. And wildly camp. Yeah. Yeah. Camper than a row of tents, as they like to say over in the England. <laughs> uh, oh, and we forgot my first time seeing the movie. I saw it. I got to see it in the theater by myself, which was nice. Uh, and yeah, I, and so if you've not seen it on the big screen, back to what James said, the package thing is really like what, what's going on here you're like that's what the hell like yeah uh so that the very significant impression for sure i remember i would just uh, i was obsessed with bowie already because i got a subscription to rolling stone when i was very young i think maybe i mean between six and eight or something like that because i remember prince was on the cover and i wanted to get that one but then they were out of that the next one had sybil shepherd and it was a big thing on moonlighting but then there was a definitely a bowie one here or there so i was always third grade i got diamond dogs and tonight 
because I was obsessed with blue jean. And actually, my mom took me to, uh, I think, two or three different stores to get the blue vinyl 45 of blue jean because it was hard to find. And uh, yeah, completely obsessed with that. I remember tonight not registering with me terrifically because I was excited about Let's Dance. I would hear all the stuff on you know the radio. And I got tonight and I was like, hmm. You know when you're a kid and you're like, I, I, I feel like I, I want to like this and I, I just can't. <clears throat> Excuse me. But uh, Blue Jean was so good that it sort of saw me through. But then Diamond Dogs I got obsessed with, which is really perfect for like a third or fourth grader. I think that's very helpful to the uh, <laughs> your overall mindset. <laughs> I do remember, you know, we talked a little bit about his wig and how nobody really ever really wore Tina Turner wigs in the 80s. I think the only other person who had that hair was Lamal from Kaja Yes. yes. And yes. I remember talking about going to movie theaters. I went to go see Neverending Story when it first came out. Yeah. And I was in a, I went to the theater and I was I went by myself and I was an adult man sitting in a theater with nothing <laughs> but young children and all the mothers were like pulling their their kids away like who is this weird old man going to see a movie this movie and I think that sort of maybe is why I didn't see this movie in the theater because I was right. so traumatized and I traumatized so many children by going b- alone to a kiddie theater. <laughs> I had a moment like that at a Kesha concert. I went with an ex and uh, <laughs> another friend and they went to go get a drink and I was just sat there and I, I just looked up and realized, oh my God, I'm an adult man alone. <laughs> and I, cause I saw, I saw a woman whipping her head around and it was clearly, she was on perv patrol, you know, cause there's all these like 13 year old <laughs> girls around with basically band-aids on. And they just, it, I was like, oh, and my phone was dead, but I just, I pretended I was looking at it until they came back. And I was like, look, I'm with the uh, people, other people. And one of them's a lady. So don't leave me alone. Uh, Parents on perv patrol. That's, I think that's <laughs> a new band name. <laughs> <laughs> definitely yeah never ending story is a great one and uh you know there's a great shot in the documentary because uh, he's his interview segment he's smoking and he's got the eye makeup and the face makeup and everything but the wig is off and he's got that sort of not crew cut but that very short you know like um dry look that he had at the time he then in i gotta say his mullet later on in the never let me down era is something of really majesty it's incredible he had a great line about the 80s and this anthology of uh stories from rolling stone about the 80s and they said what's your closing line on the 80s he said oh shoulder pads will be the bell bottoms of the 80s and it was like 1988 and he was 100 percent right mm. <laughs> and you mentioned the pepsi ad and of course it's classic though because he him and tina turner and it's like a little bit of weird science it's modern love redone with the pepsi jingle <laughs> favorite line in the whole movie is sarah you're an hour late (laughs) (laughs) he's so horrible i mean she Uh is like and she's not she's just like such a bitch like yeah 
Yeah, she wants her to. Why don't you have a date? Saturday night, Sarah. Yeah, shaming her. Shaming her. I've got a date, and it's with your father. (laughs) (laughs) Awful. But I'm I'm fascinated by that woman, and like I feel I want to know what else she was in. And um, do we see her, or she's just a voice? No, you see, you see. Okay, I just I I blanked on that for some reason. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Blonde hair. Um, yeah, she's real, uh, how would you, she's real kind of frosty, Mary Tyler Moore and ordinary people, bony. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, drawn. She's drawn. Yeah, yeah. Drawn. Yeah. Hard. Yeah. <laughs> Possibly she has an eating disorder and she's taking it out on everyone else. She's uh, just <laughs> she's just hungry. That's all. She's Cut her some sack. slack. They're going to dinner and she's, <laughs> she's, she's <laughs> that's what it is. Who, who is the, who is that actress? Let's see. Um, she's, not, she's not great. Her delivery is really um, specific. <laughs> I always enjoy but, you know, in that movie when she pops up, you know. But like, I remember also thinking, like that Sarah was the the hero of the story, and like everyone was against her, and like blah blah blah. But you watch it again, you're like, no, actually, Sarah's a bit of a bitch, and <laughs> yeah. her parents are just asking her to look after her baby brother for like an evening it's not a it's not a big deal yeah. um it, w- it wouldn't it wouldn't warrant her uh you know terming it what she does which is being a slave yeah yeah exactly <laughs> um yeah so she fully like leans into her victim narrative which i don't think actually stands up quite so well on rewatch uh, james you've just rewatched it did or oh watched it for the first oh time God. did did she come off well to you um I- well, but but she is a very typical, you know, like 16-year-old girl in that, you know, you, you you always struggle with every teenage every teenager in movies because looking back on them, they are just spoiled brats and uh Sure. Particularly so, from the 80s. Like if you go yeah. rewatch a John Hughes movie, you won't be able to stop vomiting. Uh, also like Adventures in Babysitting or something like <laughs> sure. that where, you know, and, and that's always part of the journey is where they have to, you know, I mean, she basically, she sells her her baby, the baby, the kid's <laughs> brother into, you know, the goblin world. I mean, she's, she, she's responsible for everything that happens. And right. you do have a hard time like feeling sorry for her. Right, Jareth is not lying when he's like, I've moved the stars and changed time for you. Not really yeah. lying. There was yeah. a lot of funny stuff in the chat box with people calling uh, her the original Karen. And, uh, <laughs> and we'll get back to that in a second. But right now, Jake Shears is showing us Toby. Hello, Toby. I was just going to say, he's the, <laughs> he is the Sir Didymus from Labyrinth. Yes, uh, exactly. I think Sir Didymus was based off of Border Terriers. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced. But anyways, this is it's, Toby, and you know, every time I see Sir Didymus, I think of my little dog here. How old oh, is Toby? He's so beautiful. He's so cute. Thirteen. He's thirteen years old. Wow, he's looks like a puppy. Yeah, he does look like a puppy. He's a very sweet boy. He gets. <gasps> bo- he only gets Botox though. It's not like a full <laughs> regimen or anything. Yeah, I have to say that speaking of copious amounts of drugs, uh, Toby is a lifesaver. When you might have a little crossover of one or two things and you need a little break from DJing, 
uh, he, not that I know from personal experience, he is the perfect uh, comfort dog. He recenters you. He's like a, he's a, there's been, there's been many, many people, uh, really, really high who basically <laughs> like, have like some late night connections with Toby. He's like, a yeah. <laughs> well, he does, you, you can see there's some human behind those eyes. Oh yeah. He, he's obviously, oh. yeah, there, there is someone trapped in that, in that head. <laughs> there definitely is and every once in a while he's slightly disapproving which is kind of funny too yeah True. that's he's- actually where sarah sent her little brother just into that dog <laughs> that's right <laughs> oh, and his name is toby exactly to show the uh the the impact of the film on you i'm so glad you grabbed toby because i, I might have forgotten to mention it i guess I in would- ways that i haven't even you know have not even been particularly <laughs> conscious of <laughs> you're still processing these things and that, that's all I right mean- sometimes it takes us a lifetime um let's see there's some fun trivia what about any, everyone else's uh favorite moments and we may have covered them but i feel like there might be even james i'm sure that there's something that stood out to you as uh, a highlight um, amidst the uh travesty of the film for you <laughs> I, I am completely blanking on that right now so i'm gonna i'm gonna hand that one over to everyone else sure crystal um well i don't know if it's uh, it's a, not a favorite moment but i hate that night and I hate that night, <laughs> that little night. Oh, Fox, what's his name? Oh, Ar- Sir Didymus. Didymus. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's and then I love his dog, which is Sarah's dog, right? Ambrosius. Ambrosius. Ambrosius is, yeah. yeah, adorable. Oh, I just, I can't stand that little foxy cunt. <laughs> well, and back to the As the World Falls Down sequence, it, it is uh, incredibly gorgeous, and it was uh, choreographed by... Um, Cheryl McFadden. She later changed her name to Gates McFadden, who then played Doctor Beverly Crusher on one of the oh. Star Treks. Yeah, oh. yeah. Uh, so, and there was a different choreographer for the magic dance sequence, whose name I also am forgetting right now. So, so wait, Beverly Crusher choreographed the "As the World Falls Down" ballroom scene. That's right, and I cannot wait to tell my husband that. Oh, that's fantastic! Yeah, it's wonderful when you have a bit of Star Trek info for a Star Trek fan, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's some interesting stuff in Sarah's bedroom that there's, she has a stuffed animal that looks like Sir Didymus, a doll that looks like Ludo. I mean, that's some of the stuff she's putting away at the end. It's kind of hard to see on a smaller screen. But also there uh, apparently are newspaper clippings of Sarah's famous actress mom with another man, David Bowie. Now, I don't know anything about that. So uh, I would like to see blow-ups of those stills. But there are pictures of, uh, of Bowie in her room. That mm. are pro- well, she, has the, she has the doll. She has the Jareth doll, doesn't she? Oh, did she? You know, that's great. I've seen the movie a hundred times. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, I think yeah, you're I right. Think, yeah. I think on her um, uh, nightstand right there with the mirror, I think there's a giant Jareth doll. Oh, okay. Right, right. But that's kind of cool that they acknowledge that Bowie is a real person in her in the real world. And so her fantasy world, she's turned him into the Goblin King. I think that's that's quite nice. That is cool. That, that's, yeah. that's like a, a Wizard of Oz thing where everyone yeah. is in... You know, all the characters are the, in the dream world and in their counterparts. That's and right. Were- yeah. So again, your uh, your assessment of that is uh, apt throughout. And um, oh, and Toby, we talked about Toby, the the kid, he, who the character was named something else, but he wouldn't respond, of course, because he was you know being difficult. What, how old was he? Like three or something. So uh, Toby became his name. And in a sort of retrospective interview, Toby, who as Jake mentioned, is one of the uh, main Henson people now uh at, you know taking on the mantle of his father brian froud he says he has no memory of the film other than peeing on david bowie or he's i know i peed on david bowie yeah well i think we all peed on david bowie at one point in the 80s. james did you ever meet david bowie 
I did. I remember he um, performed at a club that I worked at called The World, and he had a secret performance, and nobody knew about knew about. And he just it was one of those things where you got a phone call two hours beforehand saying David was performing for performing. Oh wow! I I was able. I I spoke to him a little bit there, and I remember seeing him at clubs like Area and things like that in the eighties. And he also was at. um, We did an outlaw party. I think um, Vito Bruno did an outlaw party. There was in a subway station, and it was in the middle of winter in New York. And that was another thing where you got a phone call saying there's going to be a party in 20 minutes. You've got to get it to 28th Street subway or whatever it was. And I remember um, the police came and they had the, the fire department came actually and they had a hose and it was like two below zero and they hosed everyone down, all the party people. Oh, and he man. was one of the people that was hosed down. <laughs> By the time you got up and you were running from the police, everyone had icicles on their face. And he was, I remember very vividly the ice forming on David Bowie's face because he was at this party. That's amazing. Wow. I'm amazed at the, the the little snapshots that you have, James, because you've seen so many very specific, very um, unique things like that. <laughs> and he was friendly, though. He was a nice, uh, nice fellow. Oh to chat yeah, with. yeah, yeah. I mean, he, yeah, he was he was very cool. Some other fun stuff: the baby voice and magic dance. Not that big of a surprise. It's Bowie's voice because the baby of the background singer wouldn't perform. Uh, they also had <laughs> they also had to distract Toby with a, a, a sooty puppet. I don't know if that's like a UK character. Anyway, so there's a couple shots where Bowie has T- Toby on his lap, and off the frame is uh, Bowie's other hand with the puppet. That's how they would keep him calm because I guess he cried quite a bit. Unprofessional. Uh, because there were all those goblins. Like, I, I know. Really quite scary goblins. <laughs> right. Other people considered for the role before they arrived at the correct choice, Michael Jackson, Prince, and Mick Jagger. I can't imagine. It would be kind of funny with Mick Jagger, actually. It would be a d- very different film. I can actually, I can see Prince, Michael too. Jackson. Yeah. yeah, I can see Prince. Can, yeah. And yeah, I, I think I heard Sting as well. That's right. They, yeah. They it's, wanted Sting. Yeah, and Sting was in all kinds of stuff. And I think actually Henson's kids convinced him that Bowie was the right choice. Oh, and then, so the first meeting that they had where they were going to listen to the demos of the songs, they were he was expecting, Henson was expecting, just like some rough sketches. The complete finished songs were what he brought to him. So Bowie just went away and did all those completely on his own, you know, imagination. Wow. Wow. And uh, imagine you're like, actually, that wasn't really what I had in mind. <laughs> <laughs> here's this. Uh, do you know Sting? Well, here's his album. If you can make something like that, right? Uh, can you not not not? Do you know that voice you do? Can you not do that so much? That'd be good. Yeah. Um, what? Well, I, it, but you think about Prince, though. You think about his wooden acting and how oh, yeah. awful, god awful he was. I really don't think he could have pulled it off, and I think his voice would have been. Uh, it would have been too a little high pitched, the little the little whispery thing. I don't think that would have worked. As, it wouldn't have been menacing. Michael Jackson I, just would have made it made it creepy. I think back then too, not just in now in lighter you know in light of whatever, but I think it just would have been wrong. And also, you wouldn't have believed. And he's like, "But Sarah, I'll be a slave for you." I just don't think that would have happened. And, and Prince nobody, would have been, nobody yeah. wanted to see Michael Jackson's crotch in close up and people talking <laughs> to Michael Jackson's crotch. Yeah, and with Prince, it would have tipped it over way too sexual, way yeah. too sexual. <laughs> but, I mean, I feel like Mick Jagger would have been really cranky. Oh yeah, like bitchy, <laughs> bitchy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Sarah, yeah. I've you know I've done a lot, Sarah. Like yeah, just completely. 
like yeah withered looking and just grouchy yeah that i I would like to see that version in like an alternative universe what's funny i remember in the early 80s and thinking that mick jagger was the oldest mick jagger and keith richard were the oldest people on the planet and that they were just you know like wrinkled old men but at the time they were really only like late 30s early 40s and yet for some reason they always had this image of being so old yeah they really weren't is that why is that why nobody on grinder will hit me back (laughs) (laughs) there's a great clip of mick jagger assessing the merits of frankie goes to hollywood i'm gonna have to drop it in jason's heard it though it's uh it's remarkable Uh, he's actually uh, let me i'll find this really quickly and uh play it for everyone what is it do you remember i sent you that clip of mick jagger it was like b-roll from an interview and she said what the woman the interviewer says what about newer bands mick like uh frankie goes to hollywood and he like he rips rips them one let me see if i don't have it here I'll, i'll send it to you afterwards and i feel like this is the energy he would be bringing into the, into the film. But what about Frankie Goes to Hollywood, though? I think it's garbage. Huh? Total garbage. On stage, the worst act I've seen. Oh, you went to see them in America? Yeah, I went to see them at the Ritz. They were just terrible. And they know it. Mm. I mean, the guy came on stage almost in tears. I don't blame him. He sang so out of tune. They got better as they went along, though. But they were... And all the trash were pre-recorded, so they weren't playing live. Mm. I mean, come on, you know, you go and pay... These people pay $15 to hear a backing track, you know. I don't think it's... I think it's a joke. Thank you. Thanks. (laughs) I guess we're close to wrapping up. Uh, Any other thoughts on the film before we do from anyone? Um. Yeah. Did anybody? I. I. I mean, I probably. Yeah, I feel like there's more to talk to. I just. uh, I didn't. uh, We didn't cover. I think there's probably a bunch, and I'm going to regret it later. As soon as we hit stop, I'll be like, oh, we didn't talk about this. So um, let's think of a, a couple things. Usually I have like a bunch of clips pulled, but I just didn't have the chance to for this. And it I figured. That when they're, I, I just, it's really upsetting when they're like torturing Bluto. When she finds Bluto, I always get yes. really, really sad that he's being like eaten on by these like little mini dinosaurs. Yeah, they're um, really scary looking as well. Those yeah. little red things larva things yeah, yeah. they're really good there is a lot of, there is a lot of creepy shitty behavior by the denizens of the goblin world for sure but how about the old bad lady you know where's the bitsy boo oh <laughs> yeah is she, is she maybe the scariest one you don't want to go out there love stay in your bedroom yeah, she's terrifying. She is terrifying. Yeah, you know. she's like she's like uh, one step away from giving her PCP. I mean, who knows what's in that that orange? <laughs> There's another thing. He doses her basically, which is great yeah. because like I don't think that would pass uh, in today's landscape. But this older man is drugging a 14 year old mm-hmm. and wanting her oh, to stay. And the, the over the romance thing, and as the world falls down, is a little. I know it's her fantasy, but still. He does want to be her slave. So there's a lot going on there. I know that some people have said that this is a, a movie that was their first sort of sexual awakening with a film. And all but that. show me who like was truly traumatized by the sexual dynamics in Labyrinth. Oh, I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that it's not woke enough. I'm just saying it's there. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely it's, it's definitely there. But I mean, who, yeah. Who, who is still going to their therapist now talking about <laughs> <laughs> Right. If anything, they they might have figured out they're like, oh, I like men in makeup. Oh, I like you know that kind of stuff. Like it's pretty harmless. And actually, I do appreciate a film that has that kind of stuff in it because if you're uh, young enough, maybe you won't see it, 
or maybe it'll make you think like, oh, what's going on there? I mean, look, I watched Body Double when I was like in third or fourth grade. So like, I'm not saying you shouldn't be watching everything possible, but we have to point it out. Yeah. And <laughs> applaud it. So, uh, how yeah, about- this film definitely created like a, a generation of goths, I think. Oh, oh yeah. definitely. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that ball sequence, you're like, oh, I've seen this at a couple clubs. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, dressing it- and he was, the, he was the first rock star I, you know, fell in love with. Like that was sure. maybe the first like inkling or the first fantasy of mine of like wanting to perform and wanting to, I remember my first fantasy of performing was I was going to sleep one night and I had, I had a, a sort of a dream about performing let's dance for my fourth grade classmates. Yeah. And that was the first, that was the first time I ever imagined myself like, like being a performer. And that's got to have come straight from basically this, this movie indirectly. That's uh, interesting. Which is a trip. You know, it must Jim Henson was such a hero. I mean, he, he, uh, he just, I, I just think he's such an incredible man. And if anybody is interested, there's, uh, there's an amazing bio on Jim Henson that came out about, uh, four or five years ago that's incredibly thorough. It's basically like the day-to-day of, oh, of wow. from the beginning of all these movies that were made, all the Muppet show, all sort of like after these, up until his death. It's just a very, very detailed biography. And, um, you know, he was a he was a queer man. He was yeah, deaf- that's right. I'm glad we're talking about this. You've had this thought. Uh, I've heard you express this thought before. Elaborate. I mean, he, uh, you know, he was a dandy and his, I mean, listen, I'm speaking out of turn. This is just a theory. I mean, if you, I think his, you know, I feel like his wife was very, uh, had very lesbianic appearance. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, he, I saw, I watched his last appearance. His last appearance alive was on Arsenio Hall. And I mean, my, you see it and I see a gay man. Sure, sure. Like just his demeanor, his his haircut, his uh, affect. He reads as a as a gay man, and I, I think I never came up with any of this. That's fascinating. And I think you know, I he was definitely exploring that side of his, you know, I think his sexuality at that time. He and his wife had an amicable split. We're still family, but had an amicable split. And sure. he got the big penthouse and was throwing parties. And I think just kind of like exploring that side of his life. And then like all of a sudden, you know, he gets pneumonia and dies. Oh yeah. Wow. And it's yeah. like, it's, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to kind of like put those things together. And that's of course nothing that they've ever come out with, but I do, I do feel like he was, queer and that he was one that we lost that makes a lot of sense though especially with the inclusiveness of all of his films and the show and even the characters that are uh, bitchy with each other or cruel with each other or whatever there is like an overall sense of like family well i mean look at the muppet movie do you know what i mean like it's a queer sensibility yes it is it is and i think that's why a lot of us relate to that stuff so intensely because it's also a lot of uh, of joy it mixed in with that too. It tells you that these things are okay. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I'm just so thankful for that man's existence. And, you know, he really put his stamp on the world. 
Well, you look back on his very early, early stuff when you see like the Ed Sullivan appearances with the, with the proto Muppets <clears throat> and how dark all of that was and how so much of even in the early Sesame Street stuff, there's some very scary stuff that happens. Yeah. He had a really dark streak in him. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I the whole gay element, I never really I, I mean, I guess rainbow connection and all of that it, it all sort of makes sense but i never put that together so i'm i'm gonna have to go back over his oeuvre oeuvre and look at <laughs> all this and but you, you bring up a really good point as well james that uh it's not like he made these really whimsical films that were bereft of uh real world in quotes <laughs> topics or subjects the, the all of his stuff does address like the perils of life Rather intensely, even the first Muppet movie, like they're like you know they're like a uh, uh, like one uh, screw up away from basically certain doom the entire time, and there are all these pressures that are made kind of like fantastical. But in Labyrinth, I mean, she might lose her brother, and you know, there's a lot of darkness. Speaking of darkness, like the the Dark Crystal is one of the darkest films I can think of. It, sure, that film traumatized me as a child. Absolutely mm. traumatized. It's it's so dark. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so beautiful. And it's funny that that was a failure in his mind. Mm-hmm. Well, I think box office wise, yeah, it didn't land. And this is another magic Critics thing about like home it. video. What's that, Jason? Critics didn't like it either. Critics did not like That's it. That's right. That's right. I, did critics like Labyrinth? I think they were kind of half and half on it. I, it, was oh. not, it was very mixed. Yeah, I'll have to find the Siskel and Ebert review. Mm-hmm. You know, all Fraggle Rock didn't land either when it first came out, didn't it? Didn't that have like a, people hated it? Because I think they, he was stuck in a box where they only wanted one thing from him. Yeah, that's right. They just wanted Kermit, and yeah. that's that. He had a great show in the 80s called uh, The Jim Henson Hour. It was on Sunday night primetime and didn't do well. They didn't even uh, NBC didn't even run all the episodes, and I think it was one of the most expensive shows that they had up at that point, too. So, yeah, he had not a great run in terms of reception towards the end, which is unfortunate. Well, I think the lesson is we all need to die before anyone pays attention to us. <laughs> <laughs> or live so long that people come back around and they're like, oh, my God, this is always great. <laughs> well, listen, I want to thank everyone so much for joining me for this. Uh, I do want to say I want to ask if there's anything else anyone wants to say about the movie before we go, because I wouldn't want to leave anything out. I, I think I talk too much. I, I, I no. everyone. <laughs> no, listen, this is what a fabulous uh bunch of coconuts to join me and uh, i really appreciate amazing this has yeah, been so fun it yeah, has nice little tip down memory lane and lots of things for me to go and watch now it's i'm excited yeah isn't that great and that's one of the great things about movies especially during this time it's this way anyway but during this time especially re-watching labyrinth it was really great to like get out of the mindset of whatever was going on and remember like oh this stuff exists and will again and we'll be able to do the things and all that stuff so anyway love you all thanks again and we'll uh, talk you again too. soon great talking to everybody bye great talk- yay thank nice you bye everybody take care thanks again to James Jake and Crystal and I'd like to remind you once again to head on over to patreon.com slash Craig and friends find the reward tier that works best for you support the show and unlock a torrent of content just for you annual memberships are now available if you do select the annual membership you do get a discount on the overall price another feature of movie club in addition to the fabulous shows where we talk in depth about favorite movies Saturdays we've been doing live watches at 2pm Hollywood time recent titles include the best little horror house in Texas followed by the TV 
TV special about the making of, which was a lot of fun. The week before that was The Apple. And if you've seen The Apple, I don't have to explain to you what a joy that was. And if you haven't seen The Apple, I have no way to explain it to you because it's unexplainable, inexplicable. And then we launched the live stream movie watch series with Labyrinth. So check back every week to see what movie we're going to be doing. Join up and join the fun. I hope you're having a happy holiday. And here's to 2021. 